0: Dear, dear listener. Hi, this is John Dupuy. I want to ask a favor of you. If you like the podcast, A Deep Transformation, and you're getting a lot out of it, could you please help us by going to wherever you get your podcast it's a Spotify or Apple or wherever it is, and write write a review. That would really help us to get this out. We really believe in what we're doing, and we're really praying and hoping this is helping people and being part of the solution. So if you could do that, it would be greatly appreciated by Roger, myself, and our team. God bless. Thank you. Welcome to part two of A Conversation with Charles Lawrence. Charles teaches us a lot about how to live in a sacred way, but also how to die in a sacred way. Welcome to Deep Transformation, self, society, spirit, life-enhancing, paradigm-rattling conversations with cutting-edge thinkers, contemplatives, and activists with Dr. Roger Walsh and John Dupuy. Join us in the evolutionary fast lane as we take a deep dive into transformational practice, peak experience, profound understanding, powerful contribution.
1: Wow. Well, what comes up for me on that, John, talking to another native man yesterday on Messenger reminded me like Einstein said, we cannot solve the problems. With the same thinking that created them. Yeah. And there be, need to be enough of us who can get outside the box. I believe there are solutions beyond the average consciousness that already are waiting. A bit like a roomy saying, you know, beyond these ideas of right doing and wrong doing, there's an open field. And I know I go there in ceremonies. Yep in very, whether it's the plant medicine ceremonies or or whatever, in the dance, in the dance ground. I go out there and I go there in that sense of what what I urge when people are coming in is to be a hollow bone, which is a Hopi term. Just empty itself out totally and be open to receive and just see what happens. And we know now that any length of time invested in an altered state The molecules in our bodies are being realigned vibrated differently how many cells die every hour and whether it's in like with the entrainment the the brain entrainment work different things something's happening differently yeah i was part of a connection last week with the dmtx thing in, in london you know we got invited to that and hearing what the psychonauts are experiencing those who are skilled in, in that, that way, they're, they're, they know there's a unit of something happening. There's something they don't have words for yet. Yeah. And I really believe the indigenous people have the language of it. Yeah.
0: And and, and Wallace, uh, um, Wallace, uh, sorry. Hi, Grandpa. Roger. And I know, I knew of Roger's work and I went to a lot of conferences where he was there and I would always, the, the one guy I wasn't going to miss was Roger because when you get in that zone, Roger, you're just, you know, you're channeling wisdom. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it feels like when you're there, when you're doing your teaching. But yeah, you were, you were in our integral thing. You were kind of the wisdom holder, that kind of, that, that rod and that staff <laughs> talks about in Psalm 23, that was always there. And how does that feel for you, Roger, when you're, I know, you're, anyway, how does that feel for you, Roger, when you're in that place <laughs> and you're being the hollow bone?
2: Well, I think it's something probably all of us aspire to, and it feels like an ongoing practice. of I love the phrase "opening to the." I can't quite pull back the exact words you used, Charles, but of somehow "opening to opening to mystery." I think both of you have used that phrase, and and it just feels so right, so beautiful. I have I just have feels like opening to mystery is is really such a beautiful practice and so humbling gets rid of dogmatism and certainty and but one has to has to be comfortable with with not knowing. And I you know for a lot of years I I, I had a, a sense which I didn't quite recognize for a while of being thinking something was wrong with me because I just didn't understand things and didn't understand life and finally I realized, oh right, it's, it's a mystery. We're all kind of trying to find our way in the mystery. And it was a—it was really a, a relieving re- revelation. Right. So, Roger, how do you recover? How do you return
1: after you're in those zones? I have, have a reason for asking that question, because you're not the individual who entered into the zone. Something has happened in the duration of that attunement or alignment. What's happened to you? Something's something speaking through
2: you. <laughs> well, I think we all have experiences of opening to opening to wisdom that's greater than ours or what we assume to be ours and uh, for me meditation is a is a really important practice it sounds like it is for you Charles and as I know it is for John and in the in those deep places there's an opening and just a a feeling of the illusion of Roger being recognized for an illusion and opening to to the totality. And then there's a kind of availability of availability to and from that great wisdom source. And yeah, of course, it's an ongoing practice for all of us, yeah. how to open and how, and as for coming back, I'm not quite sure what you're getting at there, Charles, but maybe you can say something about your experience
1: I'll give you an example. When I prepare to go onto the dance ground, there's a point like there's a Shoshone term called kimonoda. I step over that threshold line into the, into the dance ground, where it's gonna be 10 hours of dancing that day or whatever. And I know in advance why I'm stepping into it. And I know that while I'm in that other frequency, that zone, I cannot be who I was when I stepped in. Mm-hmm. And what spotted eagles teaching was that when these moments have happened, no matter how short or how long, Lakota tradition, one has the responsibility of stopping after that engagement and finding out what has happened for them. How are you different than you were before you went in? Because if you think you're this, then you're not there for what happened. And that has kept me keep. Vacu- Offering that teaching, how, how are you different now from being witnessed, so I the Young, this whole circle in Utah, people had never been witnessed properly. And then suddenly to have 50 people witness what they're saying, the unconscious, you just saw some momentary, the unconscious broke through and there was this big smile. There was a, an energy shift that was different, you know? And that old saying that, once you have been witnessed, you're forever changed. Because I don't use the word change; I'm very selective about my language. And that which has witnessed you is forever changed. And you cannot go back to the old version, of the old self, honestly. And we have in the native way, too, of talking about dragging dry bones around. People keep, they, they, they carry all their wounds with them. They want some special honoring for their wounds rather than, their becomings, what they've become, how they've been initiated, how many sun dances have you done, her? how many this and that. And you know, you have a responsibility, self and the community, because you're on your way to elderhood. You're an elder, here, Roger. And I don't know about uh, because there's a level of self. Like, who was it that wrote that the man who mistook his wife
2: for a hat? Who was that? Oh, that? that was the neurologist, sex. That's right on.
1: Man, he shook me up. I was enlightened by that reading, you know. How do we know who we are? How do we know there's got to be some level of self? And that that level of self is undergoing constant mutation, constant evolution itself. That's in order to be the hollow bone we have a sense of responsibility. How do I, I do that? Like my meditations, my practices, the inside of that bone, I have my eagle bone whistle over here, I use in ceremony and dance. But I've got to keep the hollow that inside of that bone clean and the outside polished to call the eagles, to call the spirits. And then all of the universe responds.
0: <laughs> yeah I wrote I wrote a song or a poem, a lyric it just came to me and it says I'm talking about these kind of experience and it says uh, lay your despair on the shelf, you know, because when this happens, the despair that we that I carried as a human being, yeah. you lay your despair on the shelf. You've got to start with someone else, okay? We we do this not just for our own feelings of enlightenment. We do this because it's a service. It's a giving. And lay your despair on the shelf. You've got to start with someone else. You know you matter. And in this big, massive universe, all of a sudden, there's a recognition as your little dinky thing, that's here, you know, that little spark that's flying off the creator is infinitesimally small, but infinitesimally important at the same time. And how to hold both those things are what helped me to stay on the path. And though I'm falling my face, you know, who is it? The teacher said two body links at a time, two forward, one backwards. Anyway, I have a very well-developed face from falling on it, but that's incredibly redeeming and same if it ever was. Well, anyway, yeah, there it is. We are tools for for to be a hollow bone for the mystery to come through us, yeah, for for the sake of others, for the sake of all things, in all our relations. And that's what centers it, that's what brings it home and makes it not just a vanity trip, you know, or, or self-aggrandizement.
1: And that what what comes to you in that sense? John and and also thinking about you, Roger. In a way, how you care for this the being you are, for the wisdom carrying you are you have. What's your responsibility to your body, to yourself, to keep that vital? So then the universe knows who to send to you.
2: You know,
1: (laughs) we are these uh, these strange attractors to one another.
2: Yeah.
0: Yep.
1: (laughs) In the year two thousand and one. I was going to go to Hopi. I had this large community in Finland where Raisa Gorbachev had invited grandmother Carolyn to USSR at that time, perestroika. And grandmother was well-known in the UN for UN Human Rights Subcommittee meetings. And she'd get so many different other nations to come. So we were off to to Russia and had a month over there. and, And we had stopped in Finland and all this community began to unfold there. And then something, whatever it was that happened, well, in 2001, I was going to go to Hopi for a week and then go to Europe for three weeks. And the elder of the Orisha tradition had said to me in January that if you live through this year, you will not be the same. Well, in January, that didn't mean much to me. In June, I was go to Hopi and then Finland, and I woke up quite ill and by midnight that night, I had the first of five warp operations in four days. I see unit, almost died. But then suddenly, I'm to go to South Africa. Literally, I, when, when these messages come, I have to go in that way, you know? And so I ended up taking a weapon into a Sangoma, a Zulu Sangoma in South Africa. I was, going, I was told to go to the ceremony, took him a native blanket, and tobacco, what have you. And I arrived there in South Africa, and the, the weapon was his cry for to fight AIDS in South Africa. And I got, I got to be the guy to deliver it. And then I got very close to Mandela's nephew, Dan Ansala. And I went back in 2000. Been, I had been diagnosed with cancer, and I took a year off ready to die. because Death doesn't mean that much to me. I had seven weeks in South Africa. We headed out into Botswana and over you know, the nation, and found myself with Dan out it, with the Bush people. And at one point, I said to Dan, "I said, is it they're looking at me because I'm white? I basically look white." He said, "No, no, no. He said it's the energy you're giving off, and that that to me is part of the what I have learned also. And being hit by lightning, you know, it it, it changed the molecules in my body." But I'm wondering in that case, of, again, because whether it's our Western culture or and some of these Eastern traditions I have a little challenge with, that's another train of thought. Of. But like Roger, you have a, a life of work you've committed, you've been, your, your destiny has been this work. And do you receive enough reverence? Do you see, are you seen, do you feel really acknowledged?
2: Well, it feels like part of the work is not, <laughs> not to, want to be attached to reverence. Yeah, he's <laughs> really
0: not easy to compliment. I try it a lot. It just
2: work.
1: It just... <laughs> so, yeah, uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, it just, but, it just no, he, he's very slippery but, that way. Just...
2: <laughs> but, but, Charles, you said something I really would love to have you say more about death doesn't mean much to me. That's quite a statement.
1: Well, it is now. How many times have I nearly died with particular diseases, things that happen, parasites, the tick diseases we have here? And because I carry this death medicine, Roger, I'm now very much a proponent of deliberate death in dialogues with a very fine woman who comes from John Hopkins, all that psychedelic research and what have you. We're thinking of creating a death temple up in Vermont, and we've got to take away the, the embedded beliefs in the, the IJC and other cultures around dying. It can be a glorious thing. And I practiced my own death. I have my own death charted out, written out. Why buy that by default? Why buy death by consensus? No, die individually and make it a glorious journey. For me, this whole sense of for the last couple of years in practicing, at least once a week, I get into that state of my last 10 breaths. And I know that the self organizing principle within me has accepted that already. Sure, I'll take my last breath one day, but man, I'm taking it in joy. I'm taking it in fulfillment. And what happens between now and then doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm having, a, well, again, that whole sense of having a ball. It's all about joy
0: for me. Yeah, that's that's very that's a very powerful thing that you just said. And I was at a talk with Adyat Shanti one time and somebody asked him what, what he thought about, you know, euthanasia and, and deliberate death. He says we're more compassionate for our pets than we are with human beings. Right. You right. Know, it's like that just struck me. Yeah, there's real there's and, and I have a, a friend who is a, a doctor in the Netherlands and he it's legal there. Yeah. And he talks about when he, he he just tears up when he talks. He gets joyful. Yeah. You no, know, and how deeply he's appreciated by the individual who's passing and the family. They yeah. give him gifts and, and everybody. It's just a whole different way of looking at things. And this is a guy from you know, he's a doctor, he's an MD. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's yeah, it's yeah, and how we relate to death is, has a huge, huge thing on how we relate to our lives too. It's very important, and we do tend to attempt to ignore it in, in, in our culture. Oh. And death medicine means what can you, you've talked about it a lot, but when you said you have death medicine, what is that?
1: Specifically? Well, number if one it it is the attitude that is natural. Number one. And in that I have no fear holding a dying person in my a so-called dying person in my arms. A number of years ago, I had a call, this woman who, who again, it's a child, a bit in one of the concentration camps I had not seen her for about five or six years that she was in a hospital in New York City and she wanted to see me. And I climbed up on the bed with her. She had this yellow bone, you know, parchment yellow shriveled thing, but I'm not afraid of that. Because there's a being that I want to be tender with, you know? Well, they they ran me out of the hospital when the head nurse came in, (laughs) bizarre, you know? And, And she was dead within a few hours. I had a situation in Bermuda a couple of years ago when I got down there and found that a longtime friend was in hospice and I wanted to go see her. I found myself walking there and a lot of her friends were standing around. She was basically on morphine, unconscious. And out of my mouth comes these things. that I just, Annie, anything. I'm so glad you wait till I got here. You know, I want to say goodbye to you. You want to say goodbye to me. And I turned to her daughter and I said, well, what's one of your mom's favorite songs? So Louis Armstrong's What a Wonderful World. So I was on the bed holding her in my arms, singing to her and her eyes, even from that state, her eyes is dilated. You know, the connection was there and she was gone within an hour. Cause I know I'm not afraid of that transition, that energy shift. In fact, there's, there's joy in it. There's exhilaration even telling the story because there's something such life is so sacred. Yeah, you, know, you said that earlier, John. Everything about the journey is wakan. Yeah. You know, everything is wakan. And why are we afraid of what, what's happened in, in this collapse of, of sanity in our cultures? I was watching part of Bruce Lipton video earlier about what's happened to civilization. What has happened to us all? But of course it's an evolutionary stage. And unless we can go through these stages, initiation. And some of us are wake makers, you know? The tip of that arrow, and grandma used to talk about that. The tip of, you're, you're a particle the tip of an arrow of intent. Your ancestors behind you, but you're penetrating through veils that are waiting to be penetrated. And there's a wake. And in that openness others can be swept through. Makes sense, Roger?
2: (laughs) Well, it sounds like a a beautiful and very free perspective. And yet for most of us, death, you know, the fear of death is something that I expect, you know, has many levels, of course, and layers, and is in part biological and art, cultural, et cetera, et cetera. But are there any particular experiences or practices that brought you to a place of this radical fearlessness and acceptance of death?
1: It's just Roger's really showing up as each experience happens. You know, mm. I've lost some of these elders have gone on. I wasn't there when grandma died. And that was a great grieving to me, huge grieving. Or I went when one of my elders had wanted to come to live with me in New York. And I was I was out in the world. I was gone most of the time. I had no way to take care of her. And she hung herself. Mm. You know, there was no one to really take care of her needs. And some of those places of grief, Roger, are my biggest teachers. You know, I want to with Joe Campbell. I didn't know Joe was that ill. And they, someone came in the night of a full moon ceremony based upon the teachings where Wallace and Grace told me. I almost fell apart in that ceremony because I, I have such love in my heart and gratitude for what Joe did. He, he and Jean. the anguish I felt was just Terrible. And I just didn't want to keep carrying that. I wanted to show up the best way I could, at any moment. If that makes any sense to your question, but that's that's how I know it in myself.
2: So well, for you, there's a sense that the the really opening to each moment carries carries out over into a an acceptance of really being with death, both others and your own. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And
1: the, in, the, in the limitlessness within every moment, God knows where, where where's, where's going to come from the next call. Mm-hmm. You know, and how can I serve in that way? You know, I have friends now who are going down the hill with dementia. And this year you know, I'll be 89 in a few months. And I feel like I'm, I said to a friend, I feel like I'm 15 again. And I know it's all spirit. I know yeah. it's all spirit. Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> oh, I, I want to be like you when I grow up I know right <laughs> me too <laughs>
1: yeah, if, like, Roger as long as we can laugh together you know and what is it uh, I even have these visions of different leaders of the world coming together and like, like the Navajos say they, want, they don't want to take anybody else's just medicine from somebody I want to see you dance I want to hear you sing Then I'll know who you really are. You know, Mm -hmm. Heikh Hammerschlag wrote that book about that Indian medicine. And what is it that's just waiting at any moment to burst out of us in joy? And sometimes it comes through a cry, it comes, whatever it comes. There's something then about that that deeper part of ourselves being acknowledged, it's being received. Yeah.
2: Mm That's a beautiful question. What is it within us that is waiting to burst out in joy? That's a be- beautiful. Well, Roger, I had the
1: experience years ago in New York when I was still practicing. I had a, a growing reputation work for work with schizophrenics. And how that happened, Why well, I was working with Hipophrenia before that. If you remember how that period of Jackie Schiff's work and re- where they would take hemophrenics and they would they, they would they would they would have straight jackets or what have you. But to do that work, to repair it them and get them what we call functional. But I had this gained this reputation for schizophrenics. And the therapist wanted to come check me out. And I thought, I can't explain what I'll do. Let me demonstrate what I do. And man, she was, she was so armored. And I tried to put her into a trance and this and that. And then, then those years, I had what I would call approval needs. I like to be approved for my genius. And my inner voice suddenly said to me, relax, I'll take over. And I felt my, my voice shifted about an octave. And I, the voice said, I'm no longer talking to you. I'm talking to the intelligence there inside of you. Do you hear me in there? And all of a sudden, this little Welsh woman's body totally let go. And a man's voice came out of her. And this man, he, he acknowledged his name. And he said, thank God, someone finally asked me to say what I think. I've been living inside this stiff for 52 years and she's this and this and this and this. So I know there's something inside every one of us, Roger, that's just waiting deep beneath the conscious, deep beneath the educated, beneath the domesticated. There's an authentic primal self waiting to be witnessed and and coaxed out. Mm. I've gained this reputation over the last decades among some of the native nations. They call me the wizard. <laughs> and whenever these things come out, it's not linear. Well, Grandpa was, Wallace was never linear in a way, was he, John? He mm-hmm. would just go from here to there like hopscotch, you know. And somewhere around the end, it all connected. You know? Yeah. Roger, how much? Do you, how often do you sing? Sing? Yeah. <laughs>
2: Charles, <laughs> extremely <laughs> little. I was one of those people who, in the in school, it was to- told in the choir was told to mouth the words. <laughs> oh, <and> I see <laughs> that
1: laughter just came through you. <laughs> that part of you so, is laughing in there. <laughs> so,
2: so, so I do not sing much, but I can listen to some. Enjoy listening to some music, but would love to be with you when you sing, Roger. That's like coming
1: together. I was with a one of the teacher in lots of men's circles came to visit yesterday. And it's coming together and this in the vulnerability and all those old stories, gradually the song comes out. That cry, mm-hmm. that deep cry of identity. It's not through the head, it's all through the heart for me. You
2: know. Yeah. Yeah, that feels like that's a uh, that's a that's a practice for me certainly i've been mean, i'm very cerebral by nature so to so to get out of that and to come into uh, into the heart and to to allow a greater spontaneity which i i i see you demonstrating and and feel you teaching power of spontaneity thank you
0: yeah and wallace used to use you know when we're in the sweat lodge he says sing so the spirits can hear you yeah you know in in. and, and kind of white Protestant thing, we we don't, you know, churches, we sing, you know, just raise everybody, and it started me nuts, yeah. but in the lodge, and he would always let me pound the drum, you know, and it's not really intricate drum, it's a bam, 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 but he always knew I could really hit the drum hard, and we would just sing our hearts out, God, yeah. incredibly holy.
1: Well, that leads up to me, John and Roger, when I was taken into the smokehouse, when the elder in in Vancouver was waiting two years for me to arrive. And that's where I heard and experienced love like I've never known in my life. And their belief is, first of all, there's there's a part of belief that until one can laugh honestly and cry honestly, it's a full spectrum of, of emotion that being able to do all of that back and forth, back and forth. And in their initiation rites, they take away the false ego. And they'll take you right down to your primal cry. And then they'll push it further to the edge of what we would call insanity, because there's a disidentification that goes on. And they want to get your, your authentic self to come forward. And once that cry has been, and like with you, Roger, if you were told to shut your mouth and move, just mouth the words, what an insult that was to you. That was to me. That's traumatic. How many dozens yeah. have I met over my decades of that? But to be to watch these people then, and once they push themselves, they're being pushed beyond into exhaustion, where they cannot hold back that cry anymore inside, and then they take it further, and then. Uh, Oh, oh, other sounds begin to come, and the motor homunculus gets connected, and there's involuntary movement that happens. Well, Hmm. they take that and and expand it to where that becomes a possession dance. Your spirit is dancing the body. And uh, to see these people, they're blindfolded, 30, 40 drummers at one time people who learn their cry, they sing their song and they're blindfolded and their body is being danced around these big smoke houses with big roaring fires. Nobody ever gets hurt. And there's three or 400 people at one time watching that one individual, their spirit and a whole growing sense of self. And the knowing then that your vitality, your joy is essential to the joy of the village. Your well-being, the emotional well-being of the village. They had been really, what was said, violated by a psychiatrist in Vancouver, Jillick was his name, who wrote a book about Indian healing and he, he got involved in, in, the, in the village there and promised never to write about it and went ahead and wrote this book with pictures and all and they felt really violated. So I, I came in on the wave of that and I promised never, ever to write about it. I could talk about it because the joy, and then I'm the year. I now go up there to the ceremonies and I get to talk to the new babies. And with well, Charlie's in town, you know, <laughs> because I have, the, I have the legacy now that. But to, I, I want to see everybody dancing. Sing your own song, dance your own dance. It's an old yaki saying because nobody else can do it for you. You know, nobody has your cry. Nobody has your experience. that' that's the lyrics. So nobody has your feet. Nobody has your heart. Nobody has your mouth. You've got to cry your own cry. Sing it.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's one of the reasons I, I wanted, to, uh, a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast with Roger, because, I mean, he's had an amazing life. He's hung out with, you know, some really, really amazing people. And I just wanted him just to, Talk and tell us about that. And he's little pieces here and there, but he's essentially very, you know, I don't know. He's a very humble man for one thing, Roger. But yeah, you don't yeah, know. Talk-
2: I'd, I'd like to be world famous for my humility. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? I, there's no way I can win this
0: uh, But you, you did talk about uh, you'd you been hanging out with the Dalai Lama and Mother Teresa, and you saw these people that are having this amazing impact. And you said, What the hell can I do? Or maybe what the hell can I do? And you said, oh, I can write. Yeah, and that was a moment for you, and yeah, yeah, I still I still buy your books and give them away. And uh, bless
2: you. (laughs) No, I've I
0: I bumped uh, up your sale thing a bit. I keep giving the same books away. Yeah.
2: So, Uh, and that's one of the things you've you've that's come out a few times, which you haven't emphasized a lot, Charles. But that is that at the heart of all the. This is not for just, we don't do these practices for ourselves alone. We do them in order to serve and to become better instruments of service. And that seems to be a central theme of the Native American tradition, as I as I understand.
0: It. Huge, yes.
1: Yeah, huge. And Roger, what's come for me in, in, in these last years, realizing that the multidimensionality of existence and they have they have this old shadow issue in the Western culture about winner, loser, up or down, you know. And it's it it, it became for me a win-win-win. Everyone's all existence has got to benefit from what I'm doing, you know. And yeah, I, there have been times when I've had to face people who uh, well the Hopi example, when they when they baptized me finally after watching me for 30 years, because they know that most everybody has a hidden agenda. They know it takes about 30 years or more to find out what's hidden, what's hidden, like either repressed in somebody or whatever. Well, to them, I'm what they call a pure hearted one. Well, I didn't know that. But somewhere inside of us, I see this multidimensionality. And I know all, all the universe responds to this belief or this knowing of myself that there can be benefit for all being, nature benefits, all existence benefits. But it takes some of us to penetrate beyond all those old dogmas, all the old beliefs, go beyond it. And when you were talking about the Dalai Lama a moment ago, the Dalai Lama and Grandmother Carolyn had quite a fine relationship because in, in the Tibetan and Hopi languages, there are about 30 words that are almost exactly the same. So they they have a sense of lineage connection somewhere.
0: That's right. I've heard that. I've heard that the lingu- linguistics or the philologists or whoever they are have found a lot of connections with the Hopi yeah. language in Tibet.
1: Tibet, yeah.
0: huh.
1: I have a picture of grandmother in a in a banner that Dalai Lama gave her when he came to visit her one time there at Hopi, and she used to proudly carry that with her when we go to dances. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, Charles, 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 Charles.
2: Yeah. Look at Charles. Yeah, we're probably coming towards the end of our time, but I just want to ask you: know, what you've had a long, long life. You've had an extraordinarily rich life. You've moved between worlds, many worlds. I'm struggling to come up with the question here, but it's uh, it's in the direction of wanting to ask if there's some some essential message or theme that you would most like to transmit and honor. Yeah.
1: Roger, I am one of these people this point in my life. Uh, they say I, I know my death, I feel my death. I embellish it with my imagination. as I go visit those last ten breaths, I came on this program today, this meeting with you two and whoever else is here, knowing how I was, when when this meeting finished, I already had predetermined how I wanted to feel. So I live by deliberate intent. I I don't allow default in myself. I wanna come full-bodied, full-hearted to a gathering. And bottom line in it, my default place is joy. My my ultimate place is ecstasy, and I wanted to bring my enjoyment to this occasion. What I know is joy, and how to formulate that. It's your question. That's just over the over the decades. Yeah. To me, bottom line is joy. Is, mm. is there joy in this moment in time, or if not, why not?
2: Wow, that's a great call. Is there joy in this moment, and if not? Why not? Yeah. Yeah. And I never said it
1: quite like that.
0: No. Anyway, thank you so much for for showing up and being here. And thank you for heeding the call and walking the path that you were given to walk. And it it makes all the difference. Yeah. Thank you.
1: Can I sing one of Wallace's songs for you? We have enough time? Sure. We grab my rattle here. Hold on one second. And these songs, and you'll recall that, John, I'm sure from Wallace. Like this one song he used to sing in ceremony. He's saying, "Hey Creator, hey existence, look over in this direction. We're doing something in a good way." Right? Yes, and again, that puts the power of att- attention and intention into this moment in time. And how much joy is there for me? So the song was, you may recall. Sing along if you really. Hey, hey, ah, uh, hey. Hi. Hey, 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 yo, hey, 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 all the hey, hey, to include hey, but hey, you look over in that direction. We're doing something in a good way.
0: Well, it's, it's beautiful. You have a beautiful voice. And thank you for that. Yeah. It brought back and brought up a lot in that moment. Thank you, brother.
1: <laughs>
2: wow. <laughs> and
0: th- and thank everybody for being here with us. Yeah, Charles, keep us in your prayers. Yes? Believe
1: it. Okay.
2: Yeah. Thank you so much, Charles. Thank what a you. gift
1: and roger i I was looking forward especially because i thought here's a psychologist revered psychologist i wonder what the hell is he thinking (laughs) (laughs) i was receiving all this stuff that just comes true without any order to it necessarily or linearity (laughs) just well
2: (laughs) i've uh... I have, have great appreciation for that kind of spontaneity. I call it transpersonal spontaneity, spontaneity from a source beyond our little persona. So, uh, so uh, yeah, and thank you. Good. A real gift. I'm gonna
1: go out and have a little smoke and give thanks for this and send blessings all your way. to
2: you. Uh, I'm talk you please do, and and Charles, thank you so much. What a gift this has been, and you are.
1: <laughs> edible <laughs> okay dear ones wash day right until the next
0: oh thank you. Mm-hmm. today's episode was brought to you by iawake technologies visit the deep transformation website to find out more about iawake's audio tools designed to wake us up grow us up as a part of our daily deep transformational practice thank you for joining us If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Deep Transformation podcast, and we greatly appreciate your comments, suggestions, and questions. Thank you for all you are and all you do. From John, Roger, and the Deep Transformation team.